Welcome to Leader Podcast, the ultimate destination for med tech insights, leadership inspiration, and the latest innovation. I'm Stephanie Plia, founder of Tribe Agency and your host for Leader Podcast. Welcome to episode six of Leader Podcast. I just had the pleasure of speaking to a former colleague of mine and now CEO of Data Biologics, Leah Bradle. Leah is a biomedical engineer with a rich history in market access and healthcare strategies from leading med tech companies. Leah's journey to becoming a CEO in a field where less than 2% of startup CEOs are women is both inspiring and enlightening. We talk about things like imposter syndrome and various books that motivated Leah to her journey to CEO. So get ready for an insightful conversation and let's dive into the episode. We've been talking since I started Tribe over a year ago and uh, we share a lot of commonality on how we approach our lives. And so I've always wanted to have Leah Bradle on, but you know, the timing just wasn't great for either of us as we're trying to launch companies. And here we are a year later yeah. and we get to have a call today. <laughs> we had a few technical difficulties lining up today okay. on our on our tech technical stuff, but we're we are here. We are on Zoom today and not Riverside, but we've got this covered. Right. Uh, so first of all, thank you again for joining. And I know you have plenty to good to do today. And we'll try to keep this short, sweet, and fun. For all those that are listening, it's going to be a good one. Okay, so origin story is what we wanted to talk about first. And I think it's interesting because Leah and I both worked at Intuitive, which was both of our former employer. I was there for over a decade. How long were you at Intuitive? I was there almost 13 years. So were you there longer than me? I joined in 2009. So I don't know when you... When did you I come did on? not know that. Okay. So yeah. I learned something new every time I do a podcast. So I was like the youngest You're like the OG. CSR they ever hired. <laughs> what were you, like five? I mean, no, I was, holy I was 26 cow. at the time, 26. And honestly, the only reason I think I got the job. So it was yeah. the very first person they were ever putting in the city of Las Vegas. So covering from that oh, market. Oh, you were the Vegas rep. Got I was it. the Vegas rep. And and I had knocked on the door. I'm like, oh, yes, I could sell this robot. That sounds great. And and it took me three months just to get an interview. And they're like, yeah. oh, I don't know. And, and I remember getting dinged in the interview process. I'm like, well, you didn't really ask us like what we were looking for and what, you know, why we haven't been able to find someone like, well, I know why it's me and the guy with the face tattoo, like you're, you're not really getting, you know, the, I know that's cool. Oh, candidates here. Wait, what? You yeah. had, you replaced someone that had a face tattoo? No, no. Oh. I just knew they were trying to recruit in oh, that market in at that time. Yeah. Yes, the medical it was community rough. there is, yeah. And I, I, I mean, now it's like a booming medical community, yeah. but at the time it, most of the big companies were covering that market from, you know, San Diego or Phoenix right. or Salt yes. Lake. And so it was a, give me a chance. I remember reading one of your blogs. There was a couple blogs, but I remember reading one and I was like, that is freaking awesome. <laughs> I mean, just, <laughs> you were so well-spoken and, um, I try not to give praise when it's not re deserved and it's just not my personality. I think you probably know that much about yeah. me at this point. And I think I called you or text you like yeah. immediately. I'm like, are you like a writer? <laughs> like, <laughs> what, how did you, and this is, uh, we were laughing about in our pre-call, this is before AI. So I know AI didn't write it for you, but yeah. I was like, that is really well-written. Like you wrote it like a writer, you know, it was, um, thoughtful and it just kind of had this like energy in it where it felt like you had 
a background in writing. And there's a unique art there that, you know, most people, it's kind of like picking up singing. Not everyone can yeah. sing. Not everyone can write. They can all write through AI or they can write through like a marketing intent, but like capturing people's heart and emotion in your, in your writing is a totally different craft. And that was like the immediate like onboarding for Leah in my life. Like I was like, yeah, I need to know what this is about. This is too <laughs> interesting for me. So I yeah. think I, I so I think I reached out. I can't remember the the rest I of that think story. You did because th- there was a few people that you know. So th- the intent actually with that. So that time in my life, I was really trying to figure out. Like I had just been so into the job. I loved it. I loved it. I loved everything about robotic surgery and everything that we did at at intuitive. It was just really a great, great experience. But I also felt like, okay, there's more to me than just this job. And, you know, I had at that time hired an executive coach and she was really trying to help me figure out Um, really the light bulb was, you know, are you living in your zone of excellence Mm -hmm. or are you living in your zone of genius? And I was very comfortable Mm -hmm. in my zone of excellence, you know, with a ton of fear for making any kind of change. And she encouraged me. So I do have a background in writing, but I don't, I've just always been one that writes, you know, Mm -hmm. I journal, I write, um, I was the the editor of my high school yearbook. Of course and I you wrote, were. <laughs> of course you were. Those kind of things. And then I spent years in, um, you know, my my background in my undergraduate is as an engineer. I was a biomedical engineer. Mm-hmm. I was in a PhD program. I did a lot of clinical technical writing, um, but I hadn't really put anything out into the world that was yeah. necessarily like meaningful or representative of me. So I, I actually had entered a writing contest. Those blogs that you wrote or read, read. were yeah. were part of a um, contest, part of a contest. Well, that's and... why they were so good. <laughs> I mean, and you yeah. didn't have a ghostwriter. You didn't have anyone no, helping you. No, I, they Stop. just, they, this contest was a, here's the topic. And it's funny, the one that I think you're talking about, the topic was space. And I really took it as like, um, it was kind of representing like the journey I was going through in recognizing my ability to lead and what that really means. Like, why Mm -hmm. am I, I'm at the time I was so afraid to just go out and do my own thing. I had all of these like, oh no, who am I to do that? And how can I, how can I possibly do that? And now that you brought this up, because I really hadn't even thought about it. The funny thing is, is that was in the title of that article was, was leader. It was about being a leader. And the last line in that article was, I hope I find my tribe. Oh, full circle moment. I know. I was like, (laughs) how funny is this? That that's like your company and, and, you know, and, and, and then everything that I've seen that you guys are doing that I'm so excited to have you be part of our journeys, you know, specifically yeah. with our company. So yeah, yeah, I think that's something I definitely have, um, you know, part of my like, you know, big plan is I will eventually write a book. And, and the, the, the fun thing about being in the position I'm in now, and really what we're trying to do is bring to light the evidence and the, this emerging field in regenerative medicine. And I call it like being out on the frontier and I'm a reporter on the frontier. Yeah. All right. Well, before you get into data biologics, I definitely want to give it its due time, but I want to talk about like bridge the gap between like 
attending writing contests and blogging yeah. for fun. And by the way, I've never heard, I've heard tons of people say zone of genius, but I've never heard the differentiation between mm-hmm. working in your zone of excellence versus zone of genius. And that is brilliant. The zone of excellence versus zone of genius, that actually comes from an author, Gay Hendricks, a book called The Big Leap. One of the first okay. books I read in this like journey of things. And he really talks, you know, there's other zones too. There's like zones of incompetence, like just don't do that. That's not your thing. And then there's zones of competence and you get all the way up to this zone of genius. And usually like what stops you from making that leap. So once you, if you are a person who performs in a zone of excellence, Mm -hmm. you are very comfortable. You're usually pretty well compensated. You're praised for your work. You're, you're comfortable. And there's no, yeah. there's nothing wrong with yeah. staying there. It's like, easy it's and fun to be in your excellence. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. There's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. But for somebody like me, who I just, I know that there's something bigger I'm supposed to be doing. And what my coach at the time had really helped me understand is you're not going to do that in corporate America. Mm-hmm. You are going to have to do that like the hard way mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and go and, and do something on your own and do something yes. hard. And so this, this concept also touches on how your mental, your internal dialogue and the, the fears and how things might be going swimmingly well. Great, great, great. And then all of a sudden you get sick, you stub mm-hmm. your toe on the table, something like happens that sort of mm-hmm. derails it. Yeah. Or you start having thoughts of like, yeah, but you know, my, at the time my thought was, oh, but my family's going to be like destitute on the street. Yes. <laughs> if, I, if I leave this, how can I do this? Yes. And so, so, but we realize that that is just what's called an upper limit. So that the concept of this like evolution is recognizing when you're having upper limit thinking mm. and it's all an illusion. It's yeah. just fear trying to keep you where you are right. instead of allowing you to go forward. And if you let go of it, if you just look at that fear as an observer, you find that it really goes away and that your fear doesn't ever materialize once you, you know, let it go. So that's an everyday struggle and journey for me is am I having, is this an upper limit thought or mm-hmm. is this something I actually could, should be concerned with? Um, so, and here so that you was are. an impactful thing. Yeah. Here I, I love that. That <laughs> is awesome information. Uh, I feel like we had the same mindset when I approached tribe, I had a very similar mindset. In fact, I had to convince my husband that we weren't going to be on the street. <laughs> He thankfully right. had a corporate job at the time as well. So we had a little comfort in that. My husband went but... back to work. Yeah. He was a stay-at-home dad for us and, you know, very successful for a long time before that. But when I ju- when I decided to really do the startup thing, so I went into consulting. I, you know, ha- was I never went to like, oh, I had this great, very comfortable, you know, great, you know, fi- financial situation yeah. to nothing at all. <laughs> that, right. that, I, it took me a little bit to get to that mindset right. of I'm going to be a startup CEO, but right. it did take, you know, my husband making a change in his life too, in order yeah. to make that possible. Yeah. So I, I think that what I really want to focus on is how did that come about? And, um, you know, did someone approach you? Did you join like an advisory board or how did, how did you get that opportunity? Yeah, it's and funny. only you, share what you're comfortable sharing. Yeah, no, no, it's funny because you had asked me or just to think about, you know, who would I consider a mentor in my mm-hmm. life um, as part of our, our conversation today? Mm-hmm. And the first person that comes to mind is actually a lady named Charlotte Triplett. 
And she was an advisor of mine all the way back when I was an undergrad in, in engineering. And she had spent most of her career in startups and in venture capital. And when I left Intuitive, pretty quickly after that, she called me and said, you know, you should consider being a CEO for one of these startups that we really like, but need to have somebody that's had sales experience and, mm-hmm. and could could do it. She's like, I think you could do it. And at the time I was like, what? Like, I'm just getting, I'm just Imposter getting syndrome. There. Yeah. yeah, there's no way. But what yeah. I did, but at the same time, I started my own company, um, mm-hmm. my, my consulting company and really didn't know what I was doing yet. I just mm-hmm. really was like, I'm going to do this. I know I have a lot to share and I need, I want to find startups I can work with and get to know that, you know, that stage of business. Mm-hmm. And my first jump was actually into telehealth and mm-hmm. right in the pandemic. So telehealth software. And yeah. this was a, you know, series B stage company, um, maybe a, I think at the time it was like 120 people really, really enjoyed the, the team and more so what I got to see is, okay, I understand the inner workings now mm-hmm. of how a software company works. And also I started to see, okay, all this experience I have is great. It's I, I'm, I'm more ready yes. than I thought. Yes, <laughs> to, I know. I honestly, anyone that's worked in intuitive, I feel like they got an MBA. I mean, they really did. They, they, there's so much information that was given to us and that we were responsible for and such a high ticket cost of the product in a disruptive market that I think, especially being there, as long as you and I have been there, like we probably took for granted how much we acquired in education along that journey. You're just assuming that that's just common knowledge. Everyone has that approach to life and work. And I think what you're finding, you know, post-intuitive is that that gave you so much insight that you literally are at like a CEO level, uh, like right out of the gate. Yeah. No. And I didn't see that. Charlotte saw that. And she has Mm -hmm. along the way gotten me introduced to investors and got even the show I just got on today at the very last minute was all through connections from her. So very grateful to her for seeing something that I didn't necessarily see at the time, but see now. And like I said, you know, I started at intuitive when I was 26 years old. And at the time I'd only had one year of experience any doing anything else other than being in a lab in academia. So right. I didn't really know what I was capable of along the way. I just knew I was good at the jobs that I was given to do along the way and had had made an impact. But now having the perspective that I do from the seat that I'm in now, mm-hmm. it's like, oh my gosh, yeah, you got like a, an advanced degree, which is funny enough. That's how I that's how I kind of sold my husband on what. Here's yeah. what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go yeah. to startups. I'm like I'm just thinking I'm gonna give myself two years. And think of it like I'm going back to school, but I'm going to yeah. startup school and I'm, right. I'm going to hopefully come out of it. And we're right at the two years. And so thank here you are. Thank well, you. Okay. <laughs> so let's talk about data biologics. First of all, I applaud you for taking the leap and um, taking wisdom of people before you. I think anyone that's listening that wants to take a leap, whether they start their own agency or they, you know, go be a CEO in a startup. And if you're having those same self-doubts or questions on whether you're worthy or you qualify you know, if you trust in yourself and you've been successful at everything you've done in the past, history is going to repeat itself and take both of our wisdom on that. Go for it. What's the worst thing you can do? You can always go back to your corporate job or you can always go back to a job. Um, there will always be something for you to do, but you have to go for your dreams and try uh, or you'll regret it. And ultimately, all of that, like Leah had said earlier, is 
nonsense. None of it manifests and yeah. only if you allow it to. And so you just keep pressing on. So I really do want to talk about data biologics, especially now that we're potentially going to be working together um, through our process. But I want to understand from your perspective, and I hate the like age old question, what's the problem you're trying to solve? Mm-hmm. But I think your your company is fairly complex in the way you're approaching the market. So tell us what is unique to you. What is kind of the problem that you're trying to either lessen the burden of eradicate altogether or actually add a solution that's not out there right now? Yeah. So there's kind of two sides to this, this, like, what's my motivation and in, in all of it. And I'll start with just sort of like the, you know, the fundamental, like, what do we do? We collect patient reported outcomes and nuanced treatment and, you know, patient profile detail on treatments that today predominantly are experimental, kind of mm-hmm. on the frontier, they're emerging, uh, things like platelet-rich plasma and bone marrow aspirate for, you know, osteoarthritis and different, you know, musculoskeletal conditions. Uh, but we also track other things that are, you know, even more on the front edge of things like shockwave therapies and electromagnetic therapies and laser therapy. There's there's so many things that are available for patients today on the market and they're paying cash for it. Yet mm-hmm. there's a lot of misinformation or there is just truly of all the areas of medicine. And I've sold to every single surgical specialty that there there is and have been mm-hmm. part of this, this for a long time. Of all the areas of medicine, this is where you find the the charlatans yeah. and the snake oil and yeah. the, 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 the things that don't work. But at the same time, there are things that are working and have been working for a long time that have the potential to kind of offer a whole different way of approaching how you care for chronic, especially chronic pain conditions. Mm-hmm. Cause today people have nothing in between opioids and steroid injections and surgery. There's yeah. really nothing in between that. And right. there is a demand, no matter whether the medical community wants to wants it to be there or not, there's a demand and there's a reason why people spend cash. So the founders of Data Biologics are regenerative medicine physicians trained in physical medicine and rehab. And they are the pioneers of this mm-hmm. space, been doing it for 20 years. If we think about the parallel to robotic surgery adoption, where this field is today is kind of like where, when I joined in 2009, mm-hmm. when it was still, you know, most hospitals didn't have a robot. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah, everyone like, thought it was a marketing gimmick. This is just, yeah. and this is costing more money and yeah. there's no value. So it's all the same kind of like sentiment that's there. Um, so that's about where we are as a field in, in advancing these alternatives. And, but the, uh, but the problem is there isn't a player like intuitive that has, uh, you know, the incentive and the moat around technology that right. will push it forward. You know, if, if today that the kind of industry that is around this, this space is not the ones producing the drug or the implant, they're just producing a way to take, you know, your blood out of your system and process it and put it back in. There's no, yeah. You don't own your blood. You, as the patient, are the pharmacy. So, so mm-hmm. I view it a little bit as an underdog story too. So for mm-hmm. me, it had to have heart plus the the like logical. Like I'm going to help improve the field of medicine right. by making these outcomes more transparent and right. helping patients and doctors. So, I, so it's not just potentially clinicians that are the 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 charlatans of the field. It's also the manufacturers right. where you know they don't know what they're going to get. 
And so, it's also so that market's not heavily regulated too, no. correct? Mm-mm. Yeah. And so not. it's like, it's like the wild, wild west. Exactly. And so you trying to create any kind of uniformity within it and also, you know, give some kind of basis of clinical value, I think is a huge opportunity. Right? That's exactly it. So there's really not anything comparable. I, I like to say, you know, collecting patient, you know, data into electronic systems is not, that's not new. That's like, mm-hmm. since maybe not since the dawn of medicine, but certainly been around for a long time now. Um, it's how we use that data and where it, how it gets presented back and in what channels and how do we help first doctors assess which treatments are effective for what kind of patient, which products are actually delivering what they are selling you. So we yeah. are that kind of like, um, you know, like the consumer reports for some of these, these products. But then on the, the flip side for a patient, it's the same thing. Like if, mm-hmm. if we know what you're experiencing, then we can find other patients in the data that look like you as a, as a patient. And then we can present to you here's the different things that patients have tried in your situation. And here's the, the likelihood of success based on what we know. And here's the physicians who are delivering this at a consistent level. So really breaking down the, the, the evidence into something that is consumable, not yeah. just because today electronic health record systems, there is a belief or maybe a perception that just because data is going in means there's value coming out, but the, who is getting the value from that? It is, there's two reasons why you have EHRs in place. One is to comply with the federal requirement to, mm-hmm. to create documentation that is stored in an electronic system. Two is to send the documentation to an insurance company in the correct structure so that you get reimbursed. That's the business of medicine. That's what Mm -hmm. EHRs are meant for. Or maybe sending your order, getting a prescription sent, scheduling appointments, those kinds of things. But there isn't a solution that is taking that data that's housed, the clinical data, the nuance about how treatment was delivered, and giving it back to the doctor and to the patient in a way that helps them make a decision and feel more confident about their decision. So, So that's what we're doing just on the technical side. But on the, you know, the heart side of the company, mm-hmm. um, one of our founders, Dr. Jerry Malenga, he was a just one of the most well-known voices in the field, um, you know, president of the Interventional Orthobiologics Foundation and really very, very passionate, published uh, prolifically on, on all of this. And right as I was getting introduced to the company by Sharla, who, <laughs> who's kind of brought me along, she introduced me to, to the founders of Data Biologics. Um, Dr. Malinga suddenly, you know, passed away very suddenly from, from mm-hmm. cancer. Um, and it was a, you know, a shock to the community, shock to the, 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 the founders. Um, and, and I was, you know, like just heartbroken for all of them at the time, but in that, in that, you know, aftermath, they, they collectively Dr. Malinga's family, Luke, his son is, is my, um, chief operating officer. Mm-hmm. brilliant, um, just wonderful, wonderful guy. They decided we want to do this. We want to bring this forward. We want to continue the mission. Um, we want to see it come to its full potential. And and that's when they reached out to me and, and asked if I would be their CEO and, yeah. and really taking this to the next level. Um, but that, repre- that presented a challenge, of course, challenge accepted yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, in that the company was not necessarily um, in a position to just 
you know, take off the ground. You right. Know, you, we right. had to build this as if it was from from the start. So I had a foundation with a, a, a really fun database. I love working in the data um, and a product, but we had to really build the build the model and, and come up with how we're going to approach you how know, you're going to enter market. the market yeah yeah and so that's that and, and we're still on that journey now but we're yeah. much much farther along um it's gone from just me and luke and our developer to mm-hmm. uh we've got a full team of people now and and really we've got our processes in place and um just i can be happier with with how things have progressed in the last you know just a little over a year since i came on as the full-time CEO. I'm for one looking forward to seeing where you guys take this. And I think both of us have learned through all of our years in corporate that where you start isn't always where you end as far as what you had originally intended for a product. Sometimes you get pulled into a market that you didn't even have on your radar. So it'll be interesting to see how this evolves. Um, But I think that giving patients more information to make informed decisions and also even physicians um, how they can steer conversations towards what's actually beneficial. The area that I personally like stands out to me right now that's total wild, wild west is semaglutide, ozempic, all the mm-hmm. peptides, totally wild, wild west. Anyone, it's like the previous years of Botox that anyone could give Botox, even if they weren't a doctor. And now I feel like any medical spa, any clinic, any, you know, I think even I've seen a dentist that has Ozempic. So it'll be interesting to see. I had a former guest on that really kind of talked on the downside of that. And that's not really talked about, but it'll be interesting to see if you guys are in that space. I don't know. I mean, sometimes. Well, so you're touching on exactly right. So the thing with drugs like that, right? When they're approved by the FDA, they're usually done with a very like narrowly framed clinical trial. It has, it just has to be this way. Yes. Yes. But turns out it does other things too. And once it's approved, then doctors can use their medical judgment to use something off label. And, and that can be, you know, a positive for patients. But the problem is nobody's tracking that data anymore. Nobody's no. doing it. So of course I've put Ozempic on the platform all day long for, yeah. for other things. Yeah. Um, but the other thing doctors have to really consider when they are prescribing things and doing things off label is the right level of consent with a patient, you know, understand this is an experimental application. Yes. It's not true. True. So they yes. have to, they need to have that. And then if they do get confronted legally by, Mm -hmm. you know, if somebody has a bad outcome, it's very important that physicians have data for themselves to Mm -hmm. show this is why I'm choosing to use it. The company is not going to foot the bill to do another trial unless there is a, an ROI in it. And it turns out they're already getting the ROI, right? Yeah. Everybody's on Ozempic. Right. (laughs) I know everyone's real thin, but I can't wait to see the the downside of this. Like, um, you know, this former guest of mine had talked about like their significant muscle mass loss. And then that's yeah. obviously going to contribute to lower metabolism. And my whole degree and background is in nutrition. And so it's like, stop working apparently. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, there's so there's always a catch, right? I mean, everyone loves the immediate gratification of being skinny for the holidays or whatever, but there is always a catch. And, yeah. and I think what you're doing is trying to quantify the catch. So you're trying to say, what are the upsides? What is the clinical experience with this, whatever treatment? And then what are the quantified downsides? If there are at all any, you know, maybe there are some that are bulletproof. I don't know, but 
that's that's interesting uh, yeah. approach and uh, it'll be interesting to see how you guys do well the one the other thing i didn't mention really in this whole thing is what we track are patient reported outcomes mm. and so in a lot of electronic records it's more so about the diagnostics like mm-hmm. what was the blood what were the right. labs what was the, the image right the vitals mm-hmm. it, you're not asking the patient a month later three months later six months later like we do out to five years um, first of all, like clinically validated surveys that right. can be published on, but also just their general experience. Were they satisfied with this yeah. treatment? Did it work for them? Or did, and did that you know is, your weight back for the yeah, example? Of yeah. <laughs> did you, what were your side effects? We, we yeah. have, we, we really talk a lot or, or ask a lot about, you know, unexpected symptoms. And I find this to be really interesting in in general. And it's always something when we were in robotics and working with the hospitals, like these readmissions. Oh, well, right. they were readmitted. But it was because they fell down the stairs and broke their leg. It wasn't right. because of the robots. Nothing to do with robots. Yeah, yeah but, but they're under the DRG. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, they're under that global. But right. it's the same thing here where we ask patients these questions. And, the, you know, I see I see the 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 data on the on the back end. And it's, oh, well, I had they report an infection, but you have to look at look at it closely. And it's like you, you had COVID. They said, I had COVID or um, I had, you know, this other thing happened. And and so patients right. want to share about what's going on with them. Yeah. But they don't always know that the question is trying to relate back to the treatment. Um, it's really, you know, it's a, you know, Pandora box when it comes yeah. to things that happen that a patient feels are, you know, relevant to share back to their, um, to their doctors. What is, if you had to just say one thing that you, one that you didn't account for, becoming a first-time CEO, but that you also learned um, through this last two years that you would love to share with aspiring CEOs or people that are maybe just embarking on your path, what would that be? What would the one that stood out to you the most? Well, the the whole thing has been just incredibly humbling. Yeah, I think even though you come into it with a confidence of yeah, okay, I I can I can do this. It's inevitably once some at least once a day you're punched in the face, you're punched yeah. in the stomach. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, and so I think it's um you know for me it was always when I was in a very like well funded position. Yeah. Right. Where you, you could fall and no one would notice. Right. Yeah. Yes. Now I have a team, I have customers, I have all these other things. And mm-hmm. I think it's challenged my perception of, I don't think worth is the right word, but it's close enough mm-hmm. in that I always took such pride in, okay, in, in this level of perfection and level yeah. of capability. And when you're in a, a position as a startup CEO and everything re- is, you were doing all the jobs mm-hmm. and each one of them, like, if only I could just do just that, I, yeah. I would be so great at it. You'd but be then, in your zone of excellence. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's not the case. So, yeah. so you end up, um, you know, it's a, it's a balance. It's re, it's learning to really trust other people even more and, and, ha- and ha- having like my team and really letting them see like the full, you know, human that I am when I'm like, you guys, I just, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm burnt out at the end of the day. Right. I don't have, I don't have, or I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think it's, it, those kinds of thoughts, um, and then acknowledgements were probably not something that, you know, weren't necessarily part of our culture anyways, but weren't necessarily something I felt like I even needed to get to. Yeah. Yeah. And now I do now it's like, you know, you have to be really real (laughs) when you're in 
you you brought up something that I I literally have on my to do list of social media posts to do a post about this, but um, I think it's the it's part of your humbling story. But when you go into business ownership or even leading a company like you are, you if you carry with you your perfectionism bag, it immediately gets checked when you're not hitting revenue numbers because yeah. I. <laughs> My former team, if anyone listens to this, um, thank you for listening if you do, but um, they all know I was a huge perfectionist and yeah. um, they called me the pretty committee. Anytime they would put anything that was customer facing, they would send it to me first and I would put it through the pretty committee, making sure that like it wasn't misspelled or mm-hmm. it just was formatted correctly. And that worked probably in this zone of excellence, right? And it and it was necessary, but when you're trying to run a company and uh, progress matters. The the post is going to be perfectionism is the poison of progress. I think I said yeah. this in this last podcast, but you really get that served to you. I mean, if I had to answer the question I posed to you, it'd be you know drop perfectionism. Good yeah. is good enough. Good is good enough. Yep. And honestly, even if you get it perfect a year from now, you're going to want to change everything anyway. And so fixating on the meticulous points of something when it's good enough, you know, to get you to that next stage is, yep. is where most founders, CEOs and executives have to, to turn their attention. And then, like you said, trust to delegate to those that are experts in their zone of excellence and kind of pull it all together. So you're like a quarterback now, right? Yeah. Don't you feel yeah. that way? Yeah. That's funny. That was part of that, that article I wrote too, is this sort of like split between being like, when you're in this environment, like we were, you're either like this quarterback, but at the same time, you're kind of like a daughter. You're right. like both, both sides of it. And it can be a very confusing thing to be yeah. a, you know, this, um, you know, treated as a daughter, but also treated as a quarterback. You're like, it's not the same thing. Yeah. Um, but I think that you touched on something else in this perfectionist, um, you know, challenge. The, the good enough is is good enough. And, and not wanting to show, it's like a, you're not wanting to show a weakness yeah. to your team. But yeah. at the same time, I, I learned this lesson over the last year too, is I've, I've really brought together a bunch of very passionate people. Mm -hmm. Um, but when you, when you're a person that operates like I do, and I live in these, like, Oh, these big ideas. And I, and I kind of run very, very fast. Um, when you don't slow down to kind of bring other people with you Mm -hmm. or open that door, they're not necessarily going to just give you what you need to hear. (laughs) So I've definitely had to like make, make it, um, known many, many times, but very much on our all hands call, like, like this, that I need you guys to you don't, nothing is stupid. Nothing yeah. is below. Yeah. Or, or don't be afraid to tell me I'm stupid. Um, I just yeah. said this to this one of my good, yesterday. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I think a lot of things are great ideas until they're yeah. not. I said, so yeah. you're never going to hurt my feelings. Tell me the truth. Like, yes. does this suck? And she's like, yeah, it kind of sucks. I'm like, okay, then we're going to move on to the next yeah. thing. I got 10 yeah. other ideas. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's, so, that, I, it's opening that door to that level of like um just critique and it just has changed everything by doing that and yeah. making it okay for the the team and um to come and with with their ideas and you know and sometimes it's things like like our website, right? Where yeah. like 
to to build a website, there's a lot of expense involved, but we didn't really mm-hmm. know what we wanted our like vision and brand. So I hope you know you you were bringing yeah. you guys to the table to help us with that. Um, but it was a good enough. It's good enough. We got to get yep. something up there. Got to be upright. And just yep. just you know this what we're here. But never did I finish it and say, oh, that's perfect and done. So amazing. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it was like, just, just get, get us to the next step. And, and going can... through experience, even if you thought it was perfect a year from now or, you know, a year later, you'll, you'll hate it. it yeah, I mean, that's just how it goes. Hopefully yeah. we'll build something that's more longstanding, but yeah, I started the same exact same that you're just describing. I like wanted tribeagency.org to be this like incredible website and like my calling card. And and yeah. I still really like it, but it's we've totally evolved. Like it's not what we had intended in the beginning. And I see this with every client we work with. You know, we start with them really early, like in the pre-seed and seed environment. And so we're just helping them get to a point where they can get the money from the investors. And, and then knowing farewell as we navigate through product development and product road mapping and market research and like the original beta sites for these accounts or clients, that so much is going to come of that. Yeah. And then it's going to, it's going to evolve. So I don't feel like you have to have everything figured out. You just have to have it figured out for right now. Yeah. You know, good enough. It's good enough. Good enough. Exactly. <laughs> and seen. Yeah. Um, well, okay, there's so the other last... piece. Yeah. Oh, oh, I was just no, 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 go ahead. trying to be, and you probably worked with a lot of companies like last year was maybe at least what I've heard is the hardest year on to record money. to try yeah. to raise funds yes. as a tech company. Yes. Like couldn't have been a worse time for yes. me to try to do that. Yep. But I think the silver lining in that is that I had to really, really bootstrap the company and mm-hmm. every single thing like was a, a you know, a decision, um, to be made. Do what, did I want to hire a web developer? Of course. Did I want to hire like, oh, yep. you know, yep. for these special things? Of course. But there wasn't an option in order to, you know, just, you know, live to fight maintain. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So just so you can keep going. So I, I think I, the lessons learned from last year in, you know, gone are the days of this is a great idea and it's going to get funded. It, right. There's so much more that you got to bring to the table now. Um, so, so it's a, the overall experience trying to raise in the worst environment ever to raise, I think just made, us stronger, made me stronger, faster <laughs> than, yeah. than, it, than, it, than it maybe would have otherwise. I mean, we could talk about this forever because exactly what you're describing is the same journey I've been on for the last year. And I think I'll, I'll end it, um, but just you brought up another point that's like an intuitivism, but it's like sometimes, and I've seen this with my clients, sometimes it actually is beneficial to slow down, to speed up, right? And it, people don't want to slow down to speed up because they want to speed up, but sometimes people are skipping ahead in areas where they really shouldn't. And as painful as it is to not have that revenue goal met for the board or, you know, not hit the milestone that you had put out, if it pays to take a step back or what I call zoom out and really focus on whatever it is that's getting in your way, that'll essentially get in the way of scale. Then I always say it is good to pull back. Right. Yeah. So a book that you would recommend to aspiring leaders or even CEOs of startups or med tech companies 
that's made an impact on you, even if it's uh, yeah. a little bit goody, what's the one oh, book? Gosh, I have a lot, a lot of books that I like. I read constantly. Um, but The Big Leap, that's one. He has another book called Zone of Genius, but I would read The Big Leap first. Um, another one that I really got a lot out of, especially in the time of hard to raise money as a startup, um, was a book called The Minimalist Entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And I think think this the the author was the CEO of um a oh I can't remember the name of it now but it, it like so similar to like a Canva type okay. application yeah. um but really gave me like some good you know framework of no you don't need to have uh mul- multiple millions and hundreds of millions of dollars to, yeah. to be successful as, as an entrepreneur so I I did like I, I like that one um, there's another one that's maybe a little bit more on the heart side of it, the soul sourced mm-hmm. entrepreneur. I, I did like, um, I like things that sort of combine, you know, your inner journey, your ability to sort of like connect into your, your true self. And then the logistics of actually right. running a business. Like the tactical. And like, yeah. Yes. That's the, the tactical things yeah. to, to, um, uh, you know, being successful in that. Um, most recently, I read a book that I'm really ex- was got excited about called Play Bigger. So in the entrepreneurial, like tech, just startup space mm-hmm. and kind of the, the bigger idea of category design and what that what that means and how founders should really be thinking about that. Um, another one, if you're trying to be an entrepreneur would be one um, super founders. This is this is the book that had a lot of evidence behind you know, analyzing what makes for a successful founder and what are the, oh. the what are, what's the recipe that needs to be there for, um, you know, by analyzing all of these different startups. So, you know, I like the data and I like, I like know. numbers. Um, so that's, right. my, that's my short list. I've got, okay. You know, yeah. People want to reach out I'm, for more. I've got lots. I'm a book fan too. I mean, sadly, when you're running a company, it's not a lot of time for books. I do more podcasts these days than books, but I have, I'm staring at two full bookshelves. Oh, I listen to everything now. I don't have time. My eyes are just done. Last thing. So what's your superpower? Oh my gosh. Um, my superpower is I, I have an ability to assemble a lot of complex topics and then communicate that in a simple way to people. I think that is my superpower. Okay. I think that's probably aligned with your writing skills, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially if I can write it. Speaking sometimes it's like, you know, I, yeah. I'm kind of all over, but but if I can write when I write, yeah, it's it's just it just takes over. I can write um very fluidly and and that's something I get very excited about is pulling yeah. together all of these sometimes things that don't seem to relate at all and I can find the way that they connect and and help people see that. Nice. All right. Well, thank you one for being on this podcast today. I'm sorry we couldn't do it on the original platform, but we may do. And then, um, also I can't wait to work with you for data biologics or, um, and watch that company flourish and see where we take the brand. I'm super excited about that. I'm excited too. Well, thanks for having me on. This is, this is great. I think timing's perfect. I love to get on and talk all, all things in the space, but just definitely, yeah. you know, hearing your story and connecting with, you know, how we've kind of taken parallel paths following our time. It's fun. Don't you think it's fun? I mean, yeah. um, I have fun every day. And and actually the, the nice thing about actually being a business owner where I'm not answering to anyone, 
if I'm not having fun, I stop doing it. <laughs> and that is the luxury. That is the number yeah. one luxury of being a founder is that if I don't enjoy it or it's not making me an exceptional amount of money in exchange for enjoyment, um, I just stop doing it. Yeah. It's just yeah. that easy. <laughs> yeah. There is something, there is something to that. It's like, there's, a, there's this like equal feeling of total freedom. Yeah. With also far more responsibility than you ever. Yes. Watched. Yes. It's, yeah, you it's overwhelming. Yes. Yeah. But you wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank yeah. you for doing this. Thank you. Yeah. yeah.